Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. All right, all right. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Yes. It's going to be a great year. I think so. <laughs> hey, welcome to everyone joining us online, everyone in VR as well. Uh, this is going to be a sweet morning. I think a sweet year. I'm excited about what God's got in store right now. I'm often um, uh, just asking God, what are you up to right now? And so uh, this series is, in many ways, it's a response to that. I'll talk a little bit more about it in, in just a moment. But let me ask you this question. Any of you guys sleepwalk? Anyone sleepwalk? <laughs> Anyone have someone in their house that sleepwalks? You got someone that you can like, okay. Uh, with nine kids, we've experienced kids over the years who will have these moments where they sleepwalk. And it's, I remember the first time that we probably faced it, and it really kind of throws you off. You're like, you're talking to them, and you're like, what are you up to? What do you need? What are you doing here? And then they're like, and you're like, come to realize, oh my word, they're totally asleep. And uh, which it's really kind of creepy first time. And then eventually you're like, now let's just mess with them, right? You know, it's just kind of fun. And uh, you ask questions and you get the weirdest responses. And, and then they get frustrated because they're really not there. They're not with it. And they're trying to kind of put together their thoughts. And so it's just kind of, it's funny stuff. But here's what I was thinking about it in, in kind of in that same realm. I was thinking about the church. Not Lakeland specific, but yes, it, it applies to Lakeland, but the church at large. And I just am I'm wondering how much of the church is sleepwalking, meaning we look like we're awake. We're talking, we're walking, but we're spiritually actually asleep. Like we're actually asleep. It's, it's, it's interesting. There's actually quite a few passages in Scripture where uh, it addresses this exact thing. Like it's a thing, guys. It's a thing. Here's First uh, Thessalonians chapter five, verse six. This is what it says. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. He's talking about spiritually. He's not talking about like they're actually sleeping. He's talking about spiritually they're sleeping and they need to wake up. Um, as I was heading into this, as we're approaching this year, here's what I often do. I do it every you know, fall, where I start going, God, what are you up to for the next year? I know a lot of times as we enter into a new year, we start going, okay, new year, new us. What are my new habits and things? Well, early, it's usually October for me. I start going, God, what are you doing? What's the next year? I don't know. What's on the horizon for your heart, for us, for, for Lakeland specific, but also for, your, for the church at large? And, um, and I really was starting to have this feeling like it was around this idea of a sleeping church and the church needing to wake up. And so what was interesting is I was having conversations with some people in the fall around this idea. And then I even had, um, we had like a group of pastors from another large church, multi-campus church. They were doing a retreat and they were just using our facility for the, for the weekend or for the couple days. And I took those pastors all out for lunch just to hang out with them. And I love asking pastors from outside our county, hey, what are you guys sensing the Lord is doing in your church and around the world? And what are you sensing the Lord is calling you, you guys toward? And they, they, it was really just pretty pretty cool because they all go, I don't know, we just feel like it's this idea of waking up. I'm like, interesting. <laughs> like, 
I, I'm like, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. And then this is like probably six weeks ago, I was sitting down with my wife and, um, and Pastor Jason, and we were talking through a lot of this kind of coming year as far as teaching and what are we going to be tackling as far as the church is concerned. And I asked them, kind of without giving them any like inclination of where I thought we were going, I was like, hey, what do you sense the Lord is doing? And uh, my wife, she just starts talking and she goes, I just really feel like it's around this idea of waking up. I'm like, I know. (laughs) I was like, that's it. That's exactly what it is. That's like what the Lord's heart is. And as I talk to pastors, even around the nation, this is what I sense the Lord is doing. It's like he's just awakening hearts right now in new and fresh ways. In fact, here, here's just a great example of it. It's like this weekend, right now, right now, there's like 200 mil, middle schoolers and high schoolers from Lakeland on our winter retreat right now. Now, here's what's crazy cool about that is like last year, we sent about 100. This year, 200. The, the, the number of kids that are just kind of flocking right now toward church. And by the way, we have more high schoolers who are coming week after week. In fact, we had this like uh, probably like four, five, six weeks in a row where there were kids giving their lives to Christ every single week. And, they, and then they were going straight from youth group right down to the lake and baptizing kids almost every week in the lake. I mean, it's like God's just up to something. I think he's awakening hearts right now. And, um, and this is what, and, and so for the beginning here, these first three weeks, I want to launch into the series just kind of like, around awakening because if you're not it's time to wake up and maybe there's some things that even as we do this series you're going to go oh man I just didn't even realize how I was sleeping in this area and it's time that I wake up and so let me read that whole passage that I just read that single verse uh, out of it's first Thessalonians chapter 5 I actually read um, part of this passage in our series that I, around um, the end times because you're going to see the context here right, right at the very beginning in verse 1 and 2. Check, the, check it out. It says this. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. This is in the context of end times. Meaning, the Lord, he's talking about the Lord's second coming. Like, Jesus came once. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Jesus is going to come again. He's coming when it's kind of the end times and when, and to like usher in end times and he will return and this is what the church is longing for and has been waiting for for a couple thousand years and he's basically saying here's some of the things that you just need to be aware of especially as those days approach and I did a whole series on how I believe we're nearing these end, end times right now but he says this while people are saying peace and safety destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman they will not escape Matthew chapter 24, during that end time series, Jesus likens end times to labor pains. And, uh, and so once again here, the Apostle Paul's writing, and he likens it in the same way. Like these end times, they're going to feel a little bit like that, like labor pains. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. It shouldn't surprise you that the Lord is going to return. You are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. This is what I read to you earlier. But let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and, hope of, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. 
All right, so let's just kind of talk this passage through because I think there's some really cool things that we can learn around what does it mean to be a church that's awake? So it's in this, obviously it's in this context, a description of nearing the end times and his coming, it's gonna come like a thief in the night. You're not gonna be like, oh, I was totally ready. It's gonna shock all of us to some degrees, but here's some things that, you can be looking for and that will be happening. He says basically there's two things. Here's what's going to be happening in culture and here's what is God's heart for the church during this season, okay? First, what's happening in culture? Okay, so in verse three, he says this is what people are going to be saying. People are going to be saying peace and safety. That's what's going to be happening in culture. There's going to be this voice, this kind of overarching voice that just says, hey, you want to know what? It's all okay. Everything's good. Everything's okay. And the emphasis is going to be there's no need to change anything here. <laughs> like nothing is urgent. But one of the greatest lies of the enemy is to get us to be comfortable where we're at. Right where we're at. And, and I want to say it's not that peace and safety are, are bad things. Uh, like peace and safety are actually... A- attributes of God's kingdom. I mean, Jesus talks so much about peace. He says, when, even when he sends out his disciples, he says, walk into a town and declare peace upon this town. Let your peace rest on the home where, you, where you're at. And so God's kingdom is a kingdom of peace. God's kingdom is a kingdom where he actually brings protection as well for his children, for those who are trusting in him. So these are not bad things, but it's for a group of people who should not feel all at peace and all safety because of that next life. Line that says destruction will come on them suddenly, aka they weren't safe. They, they weren't okay the whole time, but they were feeling safe. See, the lie of the enemy is, hey, you're good right where you're at, no need to change. Like, sure, you're still in your addiction, but you're doing the best that you can. Peace, safety. You know, sure, you're still living in fear. It's got your heart captured. But you're doing the best that you can. It's okay. Peace and safety over you. Sure, you haven't learned how to grow spiritually. It's okay. Peace, safety. Sure, sure, you spend most of your time trying to keep up with the Joneses. It's okay. You're doing your best. Peace, safety. Sure, you're spiritually asleep. It's okay. Peace, safety. The enemy is pulling one of the moves that, <laughs> that happened on, on, the, on the Titanic. I don't know if you ever saw that movie, but there's a, a scene in the movie that actually happened, like it's recorded as having happened in real life. And that is while the ship was sinking, the captain actually ordered like the string quartet to go on out on the main deck and just play music. Like play music, hope, hopefully it will help everyone just remain calm. Like, and by the way, the captain knew the ship would be on the ocean floor within a couple hours, and yet he made that, that declaration. Go and just play music. Like, so that everyone will just be like, it's all cool, it's all great, and yet we're all going to be dead in a couple hours. This is what the enemy is great at doing. Is trying to say, yeah, your life might be sinking, but it's all okay. Peace and safety. The point of the passage is to help people to recognize that things were not all good. The world might be saying it is, but it doesn't mean that it's true and that there's this emphasis uh, that, there, that there's this sleeping faith, and that's not okay. It's not all good. That's what's happening in culture. So what's God's heart? For the church. Well, his heart is that the church would wake up 
It's that we would be awake. And so there's two things that I see that he emphasizes here, at least that apply to a church that's awake, okay? So here's the first one. That those who are awake live in the light. Those who are awake live in the light. L- listen to verse five. It says, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to darkness. Let me start with that second phrase. You don't belong to the night or to darkness. What are dark things? Like, I'm going to read some scripture because I want to make this clear because what should be obvious as like, hey, that's darkness, that's dark things, in kind of, I would describe us as entering into a post-Christian season or culture right now, I think the moral compass upon our nation has gone awry. I don't think quite people know what is right anymore and what should be obvious. I kind of think a little bit of Isaiah chapter, I think it's 5 verse 20 that says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Listen to this, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. So what should be obvious is that's a dark thing. What will be happening in culture is they're actually going to celebrate dark things and going to call it good. And I think that's actually is happening. Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is talking about, he says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. He goes, these are things that should be obvious. Now when he says acts of the flesh, he's saying these are the the acts of the sinful nature, the things that are selfish in nature and and sinful in nature. And they're, by the way, dark things, okay? And he he calls them obvious, okay? So here's a list of things that should be really obvious as dark things shouldn't be a part of our lives, okay? So sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Obvious. Are you all awake? (laughs) Okay, the question around this massive list is not have I steered clear of most, it's have I steered clear of all. Am I staying out of all of this? Like, if if you just kind of walk through this, sexual immorality, it's anything outside of God's plan around what sex is designed to look like. And what he says, he puts a stamp of approval on between a husband and a wife in the context of marriage. It's impurity, idolatry. When we think of idolatry, sometimes we go, I don't have any, like, uh, I don't have a little idol that I'm bowing down to in my house recently. I just have a phone that I basically honor Oops, I shouldn't have said that. Okay, uh, you know, but it's anything that, you, that gets your attention or your affection more than the Lord. It's anything you have to, I've said it's probably an idol if you have to check with it before you can be obedient to him. Which, which can land around our, uh, a sport that you value, your kids' sport, your kids in general, a hobby, your spouse, uh, an addiction, your money, your stuff, your job, your reputation. I mean, all these things. The next one, witchcraft. It can also be translated as sorcery. Some of you are like, haven't been dealing with that. Good, check. It's interesting. The Greek word for witchcraft here, it's, it's, it's pharma, pharmakia. It's where we get the word pharmacy. It has to do with drugs, actually. Because in Jesus' day, in Paul's day, when they're writing this, this was always the common understanding is that witchcraft was always associated with an altering of the mind through drugs. And so in our culture where there's so much recreational drugs and it's everywhere and it's so prevalent, listen, you cannot participate in that without the enemy trying to get a foothold in your heart and in your mind. You can't. Or the next one, hatred. 
I know people are like, well, I'm not a, hate, a hateful person. I just can't stand those people. <laughs> Discord or strife. Jealousy, this longing for what other people have. Longing to keep up with the Joneses, maybe. Fits of rage, outbursts of anger. Selfish ambition, constantly thinking of, of self-promotion. Dissension in factions, does disunity follow me? Envy, am I longing for someone else's life? Drunkenness, do I ever drink too much? Orgies, it's interesting, for that word there, it, it could be translated as carousing, but the Greek word is kamos, and it actually has to do with late night partying. That's what it has to do with. In fact, it was often associated with Kamas was this idea of there was often an event that took place with it where people would grab torches and musical instruments and take to the streets late at night to honor false gods. That's what it was about. That was Kamas. And it was this, it was this partying to honor something that was so evil and wicked. That's what he's talking about. My, my mom and dad, they used to have a phrase all the time. When I would ask my parents, hey, can I stay out, like maybe out till midnight with some of my friends, we're going to go do something. And my mom and dad would always say this phrase. They'd say, nothing good happens after, for us in our house, it was 11 p.m. is what they said. Nothing good happens after 11 p.m. I don't know if your parents ever said that to you. But that's so true. <laughs> Isn't it? Like, just think about your life. Did anything good ever happen after 11 p.m.? Probably not. But you can name a whole lot of bad things that did. You know, it's like, if there was a phrase that went with Kamos, it was this. Nothing good happens after 11 p.m. That's, that's, that's essentially what's happening here. It's all bad stuff. And, and here's the deal. If you are participating in any of these, this massive list, see, it's a huge list of things. But if you're participating in any of the one, guess what? You're probably asleep. And I know what can happen is we can read a long list like that and be like, not dealing with it, not dealing with it, not dealing, not, yeah, struggling with that whole outburst of anger thing, but not dealing with it, not dealing, not dealing, not, not dealing with it. And we start reading the whole list and we're like, so nine out of 10 ain't bad, right? Like nine out of 10, that's pretty good. But here's the deal. If you embrace the, if you're like, I'm just going to embrace the one while I'm pretty good because nine out of 10 ain't bad, you're actually asleep Here's why you're asleep. Picture it like this. If you have 10 rooms in your house and one room's on fire, is it okay that that one room's just burning? No, because one room with a fire in it fills the house with smoke and ruins the whole home. Right? It, it's the whole house is in danger. And, and yet this is what we do is we're like, well, I'm 9 out of 10 ain't bad. It is. We have to deal with the one. We have to deal with the fire because living in darkness, embracing that darkness, allows that to actually infect the whole. And so he goes on. Remember, we're talking about the passage. He goes on to say they, the children, they live in the light. So what is, how do you live in the light? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 through 10 says this. It says, live as children of light. And then he's going to define that, okay? He says, for the fruit of light consists, meaning here's the consistency of light. Are you ready for it? It consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Okay, so the light has this consistency. Would you say that the atmosphere where you surround yourself, the, the settings where you place yourself, does it have this consistency? Meaning, does it have a consistency of goodness, righteousness, righteousness, 
Does it have a consistency of truth? Like, here's the questions to ask. Is this good? Ask, is it good? Not does it feel good, or do I get a good feeling in my jellies about it? Is it good according to God's word and God's standard? Like, you need to put yourself in settings of his goodness. I think about it almost every Tuesday morning after like our men's group. We've got an open group for guys here if you want to join us, 6.30 in the morning, nice and early. Uh, but almost every week I hear from some guy going, man, this was so good. I almost didn't come, but I'm so glad I did. It was so good. And what they're saying is ultimately this. I actually placed myself in a setting of light. That's what I did. I placed myself in a setting of light and I experienced the goodness of the Lord. And thus even it's good in my life. Putting yourself in those type of settings, it's a, it's a setting of light. Is, here's the second question. Is it righteous? Not is it right. Is it righteous? Because that's kind of a different, that's a different word, right? It brings out this idea of like literally righteousness. Am I, am I putting myself in a setting of righteousness? Like this past uh, Thursday, I was dropping off one of my daughter's uh, in the airport, and all the kids are going back now to their other states, going home. And uh, as a bunch of my kids, I'm dropping off at airports. And so Thursday morning, it's like, you know, I, my daughter had a flight. I had to get her to O'Hare at 6 a.m. And so early, early drive, and I'm driving back from O'Hare. It's like, you know, 6 a.m., I got to drive back. I got an hour and a half. So I'm like, well, I could listen to the radio. I can listen to talk radio. I could listen to a podcast. But I'm like, you know what? I just really want, I don't like, I just want to sit in his presence, in like a presence of righteousness. And so I just put on worship music, not Christian music. I love Christian music, but there's something a little bit different about worship music where I'm just, so I want to sit in a, the setting of righteousness. Well, why, what's the benefit of that? It's because I want to live in light. I want to saturate my, my setting, my, my life in righteousness. Because when I do that, then I'm going to start to think righteously. Does this make sense? Third, is it true? N not, does culture say, it, is, it, is it true? Not, does Google say it's true? Not, does my friend say it's true? Like, does God's word say this is true? Am I in a setting where truth is spoken and lies are exposed? Answer that question. Do you put yourself in settings where truth is declared over you and lies are exposed in you? The number one phrase that my wife and I speak to people when we're sitting down and we're meeting with them and they're telling us their story or whatever they're going through, their current situation, I'm telling you, it, the number one phrase, it is not, here's your sin, let me point it out to you. That's never it. You want to know what it is? That's a lie. That's the number one phrase we use. That's a lie. That's a lie about you. That is not true about you. This is not true about God. That's not true according to his word. This is not true about your situation. Like, it's amazing to me the sheer number of, of situations that, that people find themselves in where they're like, I don't know, is that true? And you're like, no, that's not true. That's a lie, and they need to be in a setting. You, you've got to put yourself in a setting. This is why we think groups are so important, and our, our phrase for that is no one battles along, alone because you need someone alongside you, alongside you in life, who can say, this is true about you, and that's a lie. Don't believe it. 
That, there's, there should go an amen right there, by the way. Okay, amen, amen. Does it please God? I call that the, uh, would I watch it, do it, say it with my mom in the room <laughs> question. Remember back in the day, you're like, oh, I'm not going to watch this movie with my mom in the room. <laughs> Guess what? God's standard is much higher than your mom. You've just gotten so used to him being present that you become apathetic to him. If you wouldn't do, do it with your mom in the room, it probably doesn't please the heart of the Lord either. There's all these things that he goes, hey, we've got to live in the light. Ask the Holy Spirit these questions. You know, is it true? Is it righteous? Does it please him? Second thing is this. Those who are awake are sober-minded. I'm going to get this done pretty quickly. They're sober-minded. But look at the next verses, verses 6 through 8. It says, So then, let us not be like others who asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Now, this is not about drinking, folks. This is about being sober in your thinking. What's a sober mind? A sober mind has habits that help us think rightly and think sharply. If you just kind of contrast being sober and being drunk, a, a drunk person always reacts, and they always react poorly, right? They react poorly, slowly, not, not well. A, a sober person thinks proactively, purposefully in advance. Drunk person is reactive. Sober person can be proactive and think purposefully. Okay, so now in this passage, the thing that helps me think soberly is around these, putting on these three attributes, faith, love, and hope, okay? And in the first two, faith and love, he calls them a breastplate, meaning they guard your heart. And hope in the gospel, he calls a helmet, meaning it guards your mind. So you've got these things, these attributes of the kingdom of God that literally guard your heart and your mind if you purpose to think purposefully about them. Engage your mind and your heart in these things in advance. Let me give you, so let's just kind of talk this thing through. So here's what, here's what I mean. When it says faith, ask this question. What does my faith look like expressed in the situation I'm facing? Like, every, every one of us is going to have a curveball probably thrown at you this week. Most of us, when the curveball comes, comes at us, we immediately start to problem solve. Anyone else? Right? We're like, Here, here's my solutions. I got A, B, C, all these different solutions. As opposed to, very rarely do we go, what does my faith look like engaged in this moment? Like, how can my faith become active? Like, this past week, we have, uh, I've got a lot of cars, so one of my cars is having a car situation right now. And, uh, you know, it's always one of those kind of moments. Do you keep it? Do you sell it? Do you get something different? That type of thing. And so, immediately, what do I do? I go into problem-solving mode. Like, well, here's option A, option B, option C, all these different options. But, simultaneously, you want to know what I want to do? I want to say, God, how can I trust you in this moment? How can my faith be active in this moment? How might you want to show up miraculously in this moment? I find that life is way more exciting when I don't just problem solve on my own, but I allow God to show up and I have a story to tell. To do that, it usually takes a little bit more time because I can, I can do my own problem solving faster but I have no story to tell of God's goodness. 
And so it requires waiting upon him, looking, listening, relying, growing my faith in that moment. That's, that's purposeful. Okay, second thing is it says, it would be this question, what does God's love look like expressed in this situation? Because it's faith, it's love. So I started asking God, what do you want to teach me right now about your love for me or how I need to love others in this situation? So even around my car, it's just this, it's this, the teaching moment is I go, okay, God, what do you want to teach me about your love for me or my love for others? It's this. Oh, God loves me and my situation more than I do. He cares about me and my situation more than I care about it. Like he's this daddy who's looking down at me going, I care about this. I care about how this all plays out. I care about you. And so all of a sudden I started experiencing, as I started kind of looking toward that, I started going, oh my word, God, you love me so much. And then that third one, hope in the gospel. Here's the deal. The gospel, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. It's the work of the cross. Because of the cross, all things were reconciled to him at the cross. The cross is the thing that changes the story in all. In all things in life. It literally makes it so that everything that's broken is fixable. Everything that is fallen away is redeemable. Everything that is, that is fractured is restorable. That's the power of the gospel. Because of that reality, what always follows it? Hope. Because everything that's broken is redeemable. Everything that's fractured is restorable. Everything is, is, is transformed transformable by the gospel. Hope always follows that. Now here's the deal. Drunk versus sober. The drunk person always reacts. The sober person thinks proactively. They think ahead. And so here's the deal. You cannot ask those three questions. What does my faith look like engaged in this situation? What does God's love look like expressed to me or to others? Where's the gospel at work in this moment? You cannot ask those questions without putting on your thinking cap. Right? You're not reacting, you are proactively thinking. And in doing so, you're actually setting your heart up to be protected, your mind up to be protected. You're being sober-minded in that moment. Let me just end with this. It's 22 years ago, our newborns, we had twins. They were our first of our nine kids. And uh, they're newborns, okay? So my wife, it's the middle of the night. I don't know what time it was. Middle of the night. My wife is feeding the kids in the middle of the night. And so she's got two kids breastfeeding in the middle of the night. Whoa, that's, that's work right there. And she's alone doing this. And all of a sudden, I get woken up from a dead sleep, her screaming my name. Josh! And I'm like, I'm out, you know? So I just don't even have my bearings. I jump out of bed, though. It's just like reactive. I jump out of bed. We were in this tiny little farmhouse in Joliet, Illinois. And before I know it, I'm down. The stairs are like right there outside uh, our, our bedroom. And I go, I'm running down the stairs. And I'm downstairs. And I'm like this. I'm like ready to fight. Like who, who do I have to kill, you know, right now? Or what fire do I have to put out? And my wife is upstairs in the kid's room going, I'm up here, help! And so I'm run back upstairs to find my wife where she had dropped one of our kids, which you sometimes wonder why one's smarter than the other. And, but no, I'm kidding, kidding. Uh, maybe, who knows? Uh, 
She dropped one of the kids, but she dropped one of the kids because the dog started throwing up, and she's trying to get a garbage can or a towel, like, near the dog. Like, oh, the dog's going to be like, oh, thank you. Now I'll go on throw up in that, you know? Like, but... <laughs> In that whole process. So this is what I walk into. A kid on the, co- on the ground screaming. My wife's crying because she thinks she just broke a child. The dog's throwing up, you know. And here's the deal. My intentions were right, but I totally missed the mark, right? Because I was asleep. And here's my, my concern for the church. Is that if we're, if we're asleep, guess what? There will be, there will be a shaking in the end times. And I'm not going to say that the church is not going to jump up with the right intentions, but we might entirely miss the mark if we're not already awake. We, we need to be the church that is living in the light, is sober-minded, so that when we do have to respond, we hit the mark, and we hit it rightly. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to close here in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? There's a couple things I want to pray into right now. The first is uh, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you cannot be spiritually awake if you've never done that. And so maybe today, first Sunday of 2024 is your day. I said the gospel changes everything. It's at the cross where everything was transformed and you can put your faith in Jesus through a simple prayer like this and make him the Lord of your life and become spiritually awake. It could be through a prayer like this. Heavenly Father, I just admit I'm a sinner. My sin has broken my relationship with a perfect holy God. Today I put my faith in Jesus and what he did for me at the cross and not in myself or anything that I've done. And I ask that you would be my Lord and my Savior, that you would make me spiritually awake right now and that you'd put your Holy Spirit in me and guide me from this day forward. If you just prayed that prayer, you are waking up. Your life is waking up right now in this moment. And as we kind of continue to pray, here's what I want to do. I just want to just give every person here and online just a moment for you to cry out to the Lord. This is, it's, it's a personal thing. The expression of your heart and your longing for him is probably the most important thing about just launching you into being awake, spiritually awake. It's this heart posture that says, God, wake me up. I'm desperate for you to wake me up. I want to be sober. I want to be alert. I want to be in the light. And so would you just express that to him right now in your own words, in your own heart to him? It's probably the greatest delight upon his ears. His heart's crying out to him, a longing for him. We sang it earlier. Come awaken your people. Come awaken our cities. Bring revival in our hearts, revival in our land. 
May it start with us and may it start here at the beginning of 2024 where we have just a heart cry out to you in a greater way personally where we go, God, I just want to be awake. I want to be sober-minded. I want to be surrounded and, and saturated in things that are consistent and consistently light. Be people of the light and people of sober minds. Help us to do that this week and in the weeks and months ahead that as we look back at 2024, it would be the year of the awakening of our hearts. We declare this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. If we can pray for you in any way, our prayer partners will be right up here in the front. They're available online as well. Uh, Be blessed. You can give in the boxes in the back or online. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.